Welcome to Unhindered. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap. Yeah, go ahead, praise him. I'm glad you are here. If you are new to this series or new to this uh, church, not only do we say welcome, but uh, let me just tell you what we're doing. What is Unhindered? Unhindered is we are in the the throes of a sermon series where we are desperately trying to get our uh, our prayer life unhindered from things that we read about in Scripture that happened on a routine, normal basis, but you don't actually see those things happen as common today in, in the churches of the now as we would like. We, we believe that the Bible teaches us in in Job 42 and 2, that none of God's plans are unhindered. That, that there's nothing that can hold God back. So if our prayers are not producing, our faith is not producing, then there must be something hindering those things. And that's what we've been dealing with. This morning is going to be a sermon that I have titled, Yesterday Faith. Now, now I know that some of you are thinking I'm going to go to Hebrews because you think I'm going to be talking about Now faith is, but I'm not even going to mention. That's going to be the only time I mention that scripture today. We're not talking about Hebrews, about now faith. I'm legitimately going to preach a sermon called Yesterday Faith. I'm going to take my primary text or my introductory text out of James chapter 1, if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along. But let me begin by saying that we just sang a song that something jumped into my spirit as it pertains to what I'm going to talk about this morning. We just sang with our lips to a holy God, your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Now most of us, if we stopped right there, most of us would agree with that statement, and we wouldn't even have any problem uh, saying that that is something that we concur with, that we, uh, we're disciplined enough in our faith to believe because that's abstract. Do you, do you understand what I mean by abstract? When we say your promise, that puts all the responsibility in heaven. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. So that's abstract. That has nothing to do with us. What that does is that, that puts every onus of responsibility in heaven. You're faithful, God. You are faithful. Your promise still stands. But then the next line says, I'm still in your hands. Now, instead of it being on God, you have a part to play in what you were singing Him. I'm still in your hands. Are you now? Because just because God has the ability to hold you does not mean you don't have the ability to jump out. Okay, but, but if we keep singing, it says, this is my confidence. See, I'm already preaching. I ain't even got to the Bible yet. These songs will preach to you if you let them. We, we, we put all the responsibility on God in, in those first two lines. Great is your faithfulness. Your promise still stands. That's, that's on God. But then, then he shares responsibilities with us. Is, I'm still in your hands. Okay, so, so I have to, not only does God have to be able to hold me, and he's able, say yes, He's able to hold me, but then I have to be willing to stay there, not, not exit the hand. But then this becomes my responsibility. The whole thing shifts in this, in this one stanza. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. Now, some preachers have an uh, opposition to this song. They don't, <laughs> they, they, they don't like that, that, that part of that song. I've heard people preach about it uh, I, it's not a hill I'm willing to die on. Uh, they don't like it because it indicates that there's a possibility for God uh, to fail. That's not the way I take it, and it's neither here nor there for what I'm going to tell you. But what he's saying here is everything God has ever promised you has come to pass. Say yes. He, he, he's never failed me yet. But this is my confidence is what jumped in my spirit this morning. This is my confidence you've never failed me yet. Some of us, I'm going to talk about confidence this morning. That's why I was amazed that they picked that song to sing uh, on a day that I'm going to be speaking on prayer and faith and confidence. There's, there's something to that that jumped in my spirit because praying with confidence is different than praying without confidence. 
And, and if you notice what the song says, great is, my, this is my confidence, you have never failed me yet. I used to say something all the time. It was a book I read when I first got saved. It was written by a man called Stan Toller, and, and the book's title is, God's Never Failed Me, But He Sure Scared Me to Death a Few Times. And, and, and I read that as a young Christian, and I could uh, concur with that summation. That yes, God's always shown up, but sometimes He's let me be nervous in the process. Most of the time when you pray, you don't pray with confidence because you did it before and you did not get the result you were looking for. If every time you opened your mouth and prayed and that very thing happened immediately, do you know what kind of confidence that would build in you? Do you have any idea? I mean, there's not a devil in hell would want to mess with you. If you, every time you opened your mouth and said, God, please, and God said, here it is, you would, you would pray with absolute 110% confidence every time. Amen? However, when you start putting things in perspective and you say things like, you have never failed me yet, but you know good and well, there are times you have prayed and not got the result you prayed for. So where is your confidence? Well, that's, that's the crux of it, isn't it? That's our problem, isn't it? Is our confidence in the thing we are praying for, or is it in the God whose hand we're supposed to be in? I didn't plan on preaching that part. That's, that's an introduction that jumped in my spirit, but it, it flows right into what I'm going to be preaching this morning. Most of us do not pray with confidence, therefore we do not see results. The reason we don't pray with confidence is because, if I can just say it in McDowell County hillbilly vernacular, God don't mind us. We, we say, God, I need it, and God says, wait a while. We say, God, please do this, and he says, no, I'm not going to do that. We say, God, this, is, this needs to happen right now, and he says, it's going to happen, but it's going to happen little by little. And we don't like any of those answers. We like God to say, Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Right away. What can I do? At your service. That's how we like our God to respond to our prayers. Well, I got a word on it. I've got a promise on it. I said my prayers. I took my vitamins. Why ain't God moving? God, you're not minding me. And all of a sudden, you no longer have confidence. So when you start preach or praying, <laughs> you better have some confidence you're going to preach. <laughs> But when you, when you start praying and you don't have confidence, there's a lot of words being spoken, but not a, res, a lot of results happening. And I'm going to show you how the two correspond in the beginning of this message. James chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. A very familiar passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I have taught from these Scriptures before. Never what I'm going to preach this morning, um, but I've taught from this. James chapter 1, verse 5. If you need wisdom, stop right there. Everybody in this room needs wisdom. Every person in this room. So, so this is going to, when it says if you, you can just go ahead and put your name, insert your name there because it's you. We all need wisdom. Ask our generous God. The, the original Greek calls it the giving God. So ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, make sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and and the world. The King James Version says and calls them double-minded. Two minds. Dualistic realities. Two mindsets. And they are unstable in everything they do. I could close this sermon down right now and you have already been preached to. Listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, just said to you. He said that when you have two minds, you might as well not ask God for anything because your loyalty is divided. That's what happens when we pray without confidence. 
That's what happens when you ask God to do even what His promises says He should do, but you don't have confidence. Why? Because your mind is divided. You come to church on Sunday and you receive an infusion of faith. But then you go back to your reality. And some of us, it sucks that infusion right out and replaces it with something called doubt. And so when you're praying, yes, you're repeating words. Yes, you're quoting Scripture. All of the things that I've been teaching you in this series to get your prayer life unhindered. Yes, you're going through all those things. But if you don't have confidence, listen to what James says. If you, if you need wisdom, ask God. But don't waver because a person with divided loyalty is unsettled like the wave on the sea. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Is God good? Say yes. Does he still answer prayer? Say yes. But yet the Bible just said, and this is James, the brother of Jesus. This is not some McDowell County preacher. This is James telling us, but even though God is good and he does hear prayer and he does answer prayer, if your mind is divided, you might as well not expect to receive anything. As much as God would love to bless us, we might as well go ahead and consider our prayer life hindered. If we don't have confidence. So this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Because I believe in a God that if I give him my problem, he will give me back his answer. That's the kind of God I believe in. I believe that if I give God a problem, he will give me back a solution. I believe if I give him my problem, he will give me back the way out. As a matter of fact, he is a bridge over troubled waters. If I read my Bible correctly, he is the wheel inside the wheel. He is the, he is the answer to all of life's situations. If I read my Bible correctly, he, he is the, 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 the lily of the valley and the bright and the morning star. He is the alpha plus the omega. He's the beginning and the ending. There's, there's nothing in him and without him because he's in all and through all. This is the God that I believe in. So I'm confident in Him. Say amen. I'm confident that God is able. Where I have a problem is I'm not always convinced He will. I know He's able, but my confidence stands between knowing He's able and knowing He will. So James is talking about, in the beginning of this, wisdom. Say wisdom. Now, wisdom is not the same as knowledge, and I need you to get this in your spirit. Knowledge is when you know about something. But wisdom is more personal than that. See, knowledge will tell me how to load a gun. Wisdom will tell me where to point a loaded gun. There's a difference. So knowledge and wisdom are often uh, misconstrued for one another, but they are very different in their applications. You can come to church and get a lot of knowledge about God. But wisdom is not when you know about God. It's when you know God. This is, the, this, this is going to be what helps you to gain confidence. Okay? Listen. Wisdom is when you know God, not just when you know about Him. You need wisdom to pray effectively because very seldom does prayer make sense to you logically. Knowledge is logic. And when you pray thinking that you're going to pray out of the knowledge of God, you try to understand how God's going to make this thing happen. But God will never make sense to you as a matter of fact, if God could be figured out by the likes of you, He's not much of a God. I don't even want to serve a God that you can figure out. Some of you don't even know how to get your car started if it... <laughs> Some of you stand in front of a refrigerator for 15 minutes thinking that the ingredients are going to hop out and make something themselves. I don't want to serve a God that you can figure out. If you know God and all about Him and how He's going to work everything out, then that's knowledge. But what we need, James says, if you're going to pray effectively, is you need wisdom. And a man by his own wisdom can never fully understand God. That means you're never going to get smart enough to figure God out. His ways are higher than our ways. That's where faith comes in. Let me show you two scriptures, two different 
versions of the same scripture. Psalm 103, verse 7. I'm going to show it to you first in the New King James, and then I'm going to show it to you in the New Living Translation. Psalm 103, 7. He made known his ways to Moses. Mm -hmm. Stop right there. He made known his ways to Moses, but something different to Israel. His acts to the children of Israel. Now, the other translation puts it like this. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the children of Israel. Are you ready for me to drop some knowledge on you? This is not wisdom. This is knowledge. You have to take knowledge and apply it, and that becomes wisdom. Are you ready? What this scripture just taught you is this. When you pray, you are usually praying about two things. His ways and his deeds. I'm already losing you. When you pray, you pray, God, heal Bill. God, heal my body. God, make some financial breakthrough at my job. God, bring my relationship back together. Those are deeds. Those are his acts. And that's what 99.99999% of your prayer life is. You're asking God for his acts, for his deeds. That's what he revealed to the children of Israel. But it says Moses got to know God on a different level. It said with Moses, he showed Moses his ways. He showed Moses his character. So I want to show you in the beginning of this message is that when you pray, you are usually praying about results, acts, and deeds. But when you have a deeper, more intimate understanding of who God is, you pray differently. Because you stop being, you, you stop being needs-oriented and you start being Him-oriented. Man, I told you, sometimes on Sunday morning I have a hard time because I feel like I'm losing most of you. I, I'm trying not to go too deep, but you need to understand this. Because most people come up to this altar and they fall on their face and say, God, I need you to fix my marriage. That's a need. God, I need you to pay my bills. That's a need. God, I need you to heal my body. That's a need. And all of those things are pertinent. But what this scripture just showed you is that there's two levels of knowledge or wisdom about who God is. And one is, God, I want to see what you can do for me. And the other one is like Moses. God, I want to see you. What's the difference, Pastor? The results. Because the Bible says, when God arises, His enemies scatter. See, when I seek God's presence, and I get in his presence. There is nothing unholy that can come against me because I'm in the presence of the Holy One. See, you come and pray against a devil. But if you would ever pray your way into the presence of God, you ain't got to rebuke the devil because the devil don't want to be there because you have found yourself in the presence of the light. And darkness will not dwell. So, so, so there, there's two different ways to approach prayer. One is constantly praying for what you need. I want to see your hand move. I want to see what you can do for me. I want to see your power. All of that is needs-oriented, but Moses didn't want to see that. He said, God, show me your glory. I want to get in your presence because if I ever pray my way into his presence I don't have to pray for healing because I'm just going to that's going to be a residual effect of being in where he is I'm just going to get all the benefits of the fullness of who God is if I can just pray myself into his presence we're trying to stay in the outer court but get holy of holy benefits <sighs> wisdom is knowing his ways knowledge is knowing his power See, when I know his ways, that means I know his character. Knowing what God thinks. Knowing what God does and knowing what God wants to do. The children of Israel saw God in his works, but they never understood God's ways. That's why every time something bad happened, y'all not going to help me, but every single time 
Israel prayed and God didn't give them exactly what they prayed for, they fell apart. And the reason they fell apart was because they only could receive prayer as a, as a received element of God if they got exactly what they asked for. When you get into God's presence, you say, God, I surrender all. If you do it any way you do it, it's going to be okay with me because I have you. And if I've got you, I've got every single thing that I need. This is the difference between his will or his ways and his deeds. So I have to ask you a question. Could this be your problem? Could this be what's hindering your prayer life? All they knew, Israel, was when they cried about being hungry, God gave them food. When they needed water, God provided it out of a rock as a miracle. When the Red Sea stood in their way and they could not get across the Red Sea, God miraculously parted it for them. But you know what the Bible says in Deuteronomy? God told Israel, I brought you into this wilderness to test you. To see what was really in your heart. See, I wanted to prove to you what was really in your heart and to see if you would serve me or not. Do you realize that God made Israel a promise? He promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. A, a land full of wells they did not dig and houses they would not have to build and vineyards they would not have to plant. It was a good promise. It was the epitome of when they cried out to him in Egypt. The Bible says they cried out to God. God told Moses, tell my people I have heard their cries. I heard them when they prayed. And I have given them. Say given. Say it's already done. He had already provided the blessing. It was theirs. And yet, only two of them got to go in. All the rest of them died in the wilderness. Even though God had provided the promised land for them, it was a promise. It was a promise. It was a promise. God didn't have to conjure it up. He didn't have to get a construction crew. He had already spoke the word. It was already a promise made. It was a word declared. It was theirs to operate, to live in. It belonged to them, and yet they never got there. Their answer to their prayer was provided, but they never got the benefit of it. And the reason was, they failed the test. Some of you are angry with God right now, because you have prayed, and you have not seen the answer to your prayer. But I'm here to tell you and declare over your life, that God is more than able to meet not only what you have asked Him for, but exceedingly abundant above all that you can imagine or even think. God is able to blow your mind. However, just because He says yes to your prayer does not mean you will ever see it manifest in your life. Not because God's not good, not because He is not powerful, but because sometimes we hinder ourselves because the only thing that we can see is that God's not doing what I want Him to do. Israel was promised a blessing, but they failed the test. And the reason they failed the test was because they did not know the ways of God. They were seeking His power. They were seeking His hand. But they did not know His ways. They saw what He could do. They witnessed his power, but they never understood his heart. Can I, can I drop some knowledge on you? Your prayers will never produce miracles until you desire more than miracles. God's not just going to show off for you. He's not a genie that you can rub him the right way and get the answers that you are looking for. God will perform his miracles to hearts that are seeking His face instead of His ways. And a lot of people turn to prayer because they're infatuated with God, but they're not in love with God. 
They got a crush on him, but they're not married to him. See, a lot of folks are infatuated with God's strength and God's power, but they never get to know his character. They're not hungry for his presence. They just want the benefits. I'm going to try to be very, very conservative in this. But ladies, you wouldn't let your husband have all the benefits of being married, but none of the responsibilities thereof. I'm trying, I'm trying to stay PG in this pulpit. But it is a messy, messy mess when you're trying to have all the benefits of a relationship but not hold up your end. That usually leads to a D-I-V-O-R-C-E because you can't continue to pull from something and never contribute anything back. It's called the law of reciprocity. Something that only takes and only takes and never gives anything in return will eventually kill the thing. It's called a parasite, and it will eventually kill the life out of the thing that it's sucking off of. So, so, so a relationship requires reciprocity. And so we cannot be these kind of people that constantly ask for God, ask for God, ask for God, beg for God, expect from God, but we do not have any hunger for his character. That's what happens when a lot, listen, listen, a lot of people spend time chasing gifts because they have not yet chased his presence. And if they ever worked their way into his presence, the gifts would chase them. This is what happens when people are dating. You fall in love with the dimples and end up marrying the whole girl. And you realize that them dimples is cute for about six months, but then you got the whole rest of her to deal with. (laughs) A lot of people come to church and get head knowledge and know about God. But it never works its way from their head to their heart where they know God. So why did Israel fail the test? They did not enter into their prayer answer. Why? Why was their prayer hindered? Because they disobeyed God. Are you ready for this? I hope you don't get your feelings hurt easily. Because the reason they disobeyed God is the same reason you disobey God. Because they did not trust God. And why did they not trust God? The same reason you don't trust God. Because they loved His provision more than they loved Him. And why did they love his provision? Because they never really knew him for who he is. That's why the Bible says, I want you to love me with your whole heart, your whole might, and all your strength. Because if you ever throw all of you into his lap, every parent in this room knows that you would feel some kind of way if if your kids only call you when they need something. If they only acknowledge your presence when they can get something from you. It makes you feel some kind of way. But if your kid ever comes up out of nowhere and just puts their arms around you, or if they're little one, they sit in your lap and they throw their arms around you and they just, they say, Mama, I love you. Or they say, Daddy, I don't know what I would ever do without you. There ain't nothing in this world that you would not give that child at that moment because they have worked their way into your presence. Thank God most kids are too dumb to figure that out or we'd all be homeless and broke. Yeah, 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 we'd have given all to them already. They're just not too bright to figure that out. So shh, keep the secret, okay? But, but that's how God is. We're, we're constantly trying to get God to be our cosmic Santa Claus. And provide for us when he says, if you would just come into my presence and get to know who I am, you would realize all this stuff has always been yours. It's like the prodigal older son. The prodigal older son got mad because daddy threw a party for the prodigal coming home. And he looked at the older son and said, you've been in this house the whole time. Everything I've had has been yours. But you've been in my presence, but you've not known my presence. And you didn't realize the benefits that was already yours. Because you can be in the Father's house and miss all the benefits of living under His roof. And that's what happens. And that's why most of us are frustrated in our prayer life. That's what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 17. He said, Some, on the judgment day, there are going to be people standing in front of my Father who's going to say, we prophesied in your name. 
We performed miracles in your name. What do you mean we can't come in? And Jesus said, depart from me. Because even though you went to church, even though you prayed prayers, even though you performed miracles, even though you spoke in tongues, I never knew you. But I have saw the sick healed and demons eradicated. Yeah, you saw all of that, but you never saw me. You saw my power move, but you never witnessed how much I loved you and the character that I wanted to display in you. You were seeking after my power, but you never sought my face. I never knew you. See, God has everything we need to live a a victorious life. And James says that if we can get our mind fixed on Him, if we don't have, listen to what he said. He said, if your loyalty is not divided. Wow, what a powerful statement. He said, if your loyalty is not divided, then you can ask God to give you anything. And he says, our generous God, the Greek says our giving God, will provide it for you. Listen to what, listen to what John, now, you got to have, you got to have some kind of confidence to be John. You know who John is, right? All you Bible scholars, there's a book in your Bible. There's actually four of them. By his name. He wrote five, but there's a fellow in your Bible named John. And you got to have some kind of confidence to be John. One reason I say that is because John... While they were at the Last Supper, he's surrounded by tough guys like Peter and Andrew, fishermen. They, they stink like halibut. Got calluses on their hands. Peter ain't afraid to cuss out a little girl. Whack off people's ears with a sword. I mean, these are rough guys, like manly man's men. They, they, just like his fellow back. Wave at me, brother. Wait, 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 wave at me in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, he's big enough to bear hunt with a switch. And, and he got that big old burly beard, and that's Peter to me. It, when I picture Peter, I, this is who I picture right here. Big old, big old lumbering guy. When he comes down the hallway, everybody just kind of gives him room. This is Peter. And John, at that same table with Peter, lays his head in the lap of Jesus. All right. I would not imagine Peter saying, here, John, put your feet right here. Listen. I pick 11 of you fellas. And we go out to lunch. And one of you lay your head in my lap. Things just got uncomfortable. also had confidence because not only would he do that in front of other people, he calls himself in his own book that he wrote, the disciple who Jesus loved. Now he must have believed that to just lay his head over in Jesus' lap. Now don't none of you brothers try that in here. Because what, I mean we're all brothers and we love each other, but don't, Gooch, don't try that. Don't, don't do that. Don't run up here and put your head in Brother Mark's lap. Don't do that, okay? It, we would get uncomfortable, but he, he had confidence. He had, he had confidence in himself, not because of, I believe, anything he was, but because of who he saw Christ as. And so when we look at John's gospel, he tells us something in chapters 20 and 21 that demonstrates this for us. In chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. Verse 31 says, But these are written 
so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. Now, now listen to what John said here. He said the disciples saw more stuff than the stuff I just wrote about. That's power. He said, we witnessed Jesus do stuff that you would not believe. And I didn't even write it down. Because what he performed, as John calls them signs, we would call them miracles. He said, when Jesus performed the signs, that's not the important thing that he did. The important thing that he did was that you believe in him. That he was the Messiah. John says, if I can get, that's why all the way back in the beginning, he testified in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Because he wanted you to know that Jesus was eternal. And then jumped over two chapters, and he says, not only did did he wrap himself in flesh and dwell among us, but he came to seek and to save that which was lost, and that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. See, John understood that the power of his name was not in the signs. He did so many signs, John said, I'm not even going to write them all down. But the thing I am going to focus on is that he is your salvation. He's the key to you entering into eternal life. That's what's important. So many of us get our minds off of him as Messiah and focus on him as healer and miracle worker. And when he doesn't perform that, we forget this. Because when I pray about him not answering my prayers, I say, God, I know you're able. But even if you don't, I know you're able to save my marriage. But even if you don't, I know you're able to heal my body. But even if you don't, I know you are able to make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. But even if you don't, I know that your word is steadfast, unmovable, unshakable, and full of glory. But even if you don't perform it uh, under my, even if you don't, I know that I will see you as you are. That I will take my last breath here, which will be my first breath in glory. And I will behold your face as you are because you have saved me, redeemed me and snatched me from the paws of death hell and the grave so even if you don't I'm getting promoted and one day I'll sing around your throne John said the stuff that you want to hear about that you want to read about I'm not even going to tell you about because that's not the important things that he did The important thing that he did was save your soul from hell. He redeemed you from sin, hell, and the grave. And then John says in the next chapter, John 21, 25, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written in. John was so overwhelmed by the sheer number of miracles that Jesus performed. But he only recorded seven of them and every one of them he recorded did you remember what he said in chapter 20 the reason he recorded them was so you would believe that Jesus was the Messiah he said the only reason I'm even telling you about any of them is because I want you to believe that he is the Messiah he didn't focus on the miracles go back and read Mark's gospel Mark focuses on the miracles Mark loved the miracles more than but John the disciple who was comfortable Confident enough to put his head in Jesus' lap, that disciple said the miracles are not important. What's important is that you know that you are redeemed. Because if you get confidence... If you get confidence in that Jesus is your older brother, that the Holy Spirit is your guide, and that God is a loving Father who gives good gifts. He is the giving God. If you get confidence in that, you will pray differently. You will stop praying like a beggar, and you will start praying like a child. You will start coming into His presence and saying, God, I know that you are more than able to do exceedingly, abundantly, and you will drop it at His feet and say, there it is. You deal with it, and you will go on and have a blessed exist, my God in heaven. But most of us live worried and full of anxiety, 
full of fear, full of doubt. We're cynical that it's going to work. Not because God's not good, but because you don't have confidence. Mm. The first of seven miracles that, G, that John recorded, the first one was an odd one. Jesus made his, his miracle-working debut by turning water into wine. I'm, I'm glad some of y'all didn't say hallelujah, because I was expecting some of y'all to be the only thing y'all called on to. <laughs> like Jesus going to Luke Bryant concert with y'all or something. But it's a weird miracle for Jesus to, to, to show off. And how do I know it was his first one? Because when Mary came to him and said, hey, they ran out of wine, he says, well, what's that got to do with me? It's not my time to be revealed yet. In other words, he had not yet started performing miracles publicly. This was his first one. But the second miracle is the one that I'm going to focus on, and then I'll get out of your way. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 46. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana. Now stop right there. Cana is where he turned water into wine, okay? So he has just performed this miracle previously in Cana, where he turned the water into wine. There was a government official nearby in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. Stop right there. Look at this verse. Where is Jesus traveling through Galilee? Where did Jesus come to? It's not a trick question. It's right here. Where did Jesus come to? Cana. So Jesus is in Cana. Say yes. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum. Say yes. Whose son was very sick. So Jesus is where? In Cana. And, and, and the government's official's son is very sick and where's he at? Capernaum. Now what you need to know is that Cana and Capernaum is about 15 miles apart. I need you to know that because it's important for the rest of this message. There's about 15 miles of distance between where Jesus is and where this little sick boy is. 15 miles. It's not an extravagant amount but it's far enough. Verse 47 says this, When he heard that Jesus had come to Judah, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Now that is very important because he's not sick. He's very sick. He's at the point of death. He's about to die. Jesus asked in verse 48, Will you never believe in me unless you see signs and wonders. The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Now here's a father who, not, who has a little sick boy, and not just sick, but very sick. And if you've never been in that particular situation, it's hard to understand the level of fear that this father's operating under. If you have never been worried about one of your children not making it through this sickness... It'd be hard for you to wrap your mind around how full of fear this father had to be. He came 15 miles to ask Jesus to come 15 miles back to his house and heal his little son before he dies. Do you hear the, the fear in his voice when you read this? Do, do, do you hear him say, before he dies, like, can you come right now? It's urgent. You know, they, they have no other option. There's no ER for them to rush him to. It's, it's this or nothing. He, he's, down to his, he's down to praying that Jesus will make the 15 mile trip back to his house because this is the only shot he's got. He had one bullet in his gun and he just fired it. Are you with me? He's obviously desperate. And the Bible does not say why he came to Jesus. We have no idea. Maybe he heard that Jesus turned water into wine. Or maybe, maybe it was all these other miracles that John talked about that he didn't even bother to write down. 
Maybe this father had heard, we know he hadn't raised Lazarus from the dead yet. That was the one that made him famous. We know that, that's John chapter 11. He hasn't gotten to that point yet. But maybe it was some of these other things that Jesus was doing and healing the sick and casting out devils. Somehow this brother found out that Jesus was a healer. And he travels how far? 15 miles down to Cana. And he begged Jesus, this is the scriptures, to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. And verse 48, Jesus rebukes him. Now you got to understand, this father is hurting. And what does Jesus say to him? Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Jesus said, is the only reason you come to me is because you want me to do something for you? I know you're desperate. I know you're full of fear. I know know you're scared to death that your boy's going to die. But Jesus, remember what John wrote? John said, the only reason I even tell you about these miracles is so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah. There's There's a role he plays in your life that is more important than healer. That role is Messiah. He is the healer of your spirit before he's the healer of your body. And, and he says, well, do you only want to believe in me? Do you, do you only want to come to me because you want me to do something for you? And verse 49, the official pleaded, please, please come now before my little boy dies. Now what happens next is important for you to understand what an unhindered prayer life looks like. Are you ready? An unhindered prayer life has to intersect with faith. If, if, if you do not have faith... There is absolutely no reason. Listen to what James told us. You have a double mind. You should not expect anything if you do not have faith. You can pray, but don't expect results. What happens next is very important to understand how faith and prayer works together. Verse 50. Jesus told him, go back home. Now the King James says, go your way. Go back home. Your son will live. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Because if I did, if I, if I stopped service right now and started proclaiming these kind of words over y'all, we'd have one of them services where we got them stacked up like cordwood. And everybody would leave here saying, my, my, we had church. Because the pastor was prophesying over all of our life, giving words over all of our lives that go back home, your son will live. That's, that's the Jesus we like right there. That's the one that's telling us that everything we ask for happened. Lickety split. Y'all don't have lickety split up here, do you? That's McDowell County. Y'all got lickety split. Okay, y'all know what it is? Okay. I, I get back to my country roots here sometimes. I forget where I'm at. I, we, we want the kind of Jesus that says yes immediately. This man said, come and heal my son before he dies. And Jesus said, go home. Your son will live. And if we stopped right there, we'd have a shouting service all over this room. But the problem comes next. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. I've come full circle. I came all the way back to his promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Yeah, because when we ask Jesus to heal our son, all the responsibility is on Jesus. Then Jesus puts the responsibility back in his lap and says, go home. I'm not, he said, will you believe in me if I don't show you? What you're asking me to show you. He says, are you only going to believe in me if I show you a sign? In other words, will you go home with nothing but my word? I'm not going to show you a sign that my promise has worked. You're going to have to take me at my word and go home with nothing to uh, hold your wobbly knees up but my promise that I have made to you that your son will live.
God. He said, I'm not going to. When, when, when he had them roll the stone away from Lazarus' tomb, it was very evident that his words has power. Because Lazarus come hopping up out of a grave, still bound in grave clothes. Everybody that was there witnessed the power of Jesus' word. But this brother has to go how far? 15 miles back to his house to even find out whether or not what Jesus promised came true. That's why Jesus checked him first and said, will you trust me if you can't see what I'm doing? I'm not going to show you a sign. I'm not going to show you a miracle. I'm going to make you a promise. And if you can go home steadying your weary knees on my promise, I'm going to speak my word. And if you want to believe my word, you can have it. Or if you want to keep seeking for signs and wonders, you can go chasing them. But it's your choice. It's not because I don't have power. It's not because I won't heal. It's not because it's not my desire to give you the promised land. But you're going to have to seek me and believe me and trust me. And even if you can't see what I'm doing, you're going to have to believe that I'm I'm working all things out for your good. And this is why you have to get in a relationship with God where you get past simply asking Him for miracles. You have to get into a place where you trust Him no matter what you see happening in your life. He's looking for people who will take Him at His word. People who know Him well enough to look out at the chaos and the wounds and the hurts and the lack and say, God, I know what I'm up against, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor your seed begging for bread. I know it looks bad right now, but I know you well enough to say that even if you slay me, yet will I trust you. You will not bring me this far to only let me come this far. I know you too good to be an unlawful, unloving father. You're going to see me all the way through this. God, I trust you. Even when it doesn't look like what I have asked him for, I will still trust him. Now there's a lot of people who claim to believe this way, but the test comes. The test comes when you have to keep walking With no evidence. Israel failed the test. This brother just showed you how to pass the test. And I'm going to give you one more point and I'm going to get out of your life today. The man believed the word Jesus spoke. And he acted on it. Uh Jesus said, I know you can walk with a sign. I know you can keep, you'll run back home if I show you the miracle up front. But I need to know if I can just prop you up with a promise. And have you trust me, how far? 15 miles. Verse 51 says this. While the man was on his... While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. Uh A miracle happened because he took Jesus at his word. Verse 52. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, here's the message title. Yesterday. Told you my message titled, Yesterday Faith. He said, when did my son start getting better? They said, yesterday afternoon at 1 o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized this was the very time that Jesus had told him, your son will live, and he is an entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee. How far is it from Capernaum to Cana? 15 miles. Now the average person can walk a mile in in about 12 minutes. Bishop did the math. 
And that means that he could have walked home if it was under his own power in about three or four hours. If he'd have took a horse, it would have been even faster than that. Fifteen miles is not a daunting task. But the Bible says, he asked the servants, when did the miracle happen? And they said, yesterday. Why is that important, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Here is a father whose son is at the point of death. Here is a father who is full of fear. And Jesus asked him the question, will you trust me even if you can't see what's happening? And the Bible says he went his way because Jesus gave him everything he needed. He did not need a sign. He did not need an answer. He did not need a miracle. Jesus provided everything he needed, which was a word. He got a word from the Master, and that was all he needed. He believed the word, and when he went his way, he went his way. And the Bible said that it was the next day. She was, uh, she was real sick in the hospital. You never left the hospital. You, you wouldn't do it. Jared had RSV one time, and I preached watch night service, and she spent the night in the hospital. How many of you mamas have been in the hospital with a baby? Yeah, most of you won't even go down to the cafeteria and get dinner. Much less go home. I'm talking about yesterday, Faith. This father was so worried because his son was about to die. In other words, it was an hour-to-hour event. He, he could have died in the three or four hours that it took him to walk down to Cana. He could have already been dead for all he knew. He was at the point of death. And he said, Jesus, please come heal my son. Jesus said, do you need to see what you're asking me for before you'll believe it? Or will you just take me at my word? And I would have expected this brother to do what I would expect you to do. Steal the nearest horse. And gallop yourself, how far? 15 miles back to Capernaum to check on your son to see if what Jesus said worked. But the Bible says when the servants caught up with this brother, they said, he said, when did it happen? Yesterday at 1 o'clock. When this brother took Jesus at his word, he got a hotel room, went out, and got DJs for dinner, went back to the room and soaked in the jacuzzi, and when somebody saw him on the street, they said, hey, I thought your son was sick. Yeah, he was when I left him yesterday. But I got a word from Jesus, and everything's going to be all right. Well, have you went home to check? I don't have to check on the word. The word is the word. It doesn't need me to confirm what it says. A promise is a promise. That is yesterday faith. All of us got now faith. If I see it happen now, I got faith. But Jesus challenged now faith. He said, do you have to see the evidence? Or will you just take me at my word? Will you, will you trust that what I say is true no matter what you see happening around you? I, I know I know it bewilders you that you can pray and not see the evidence. But will you take me at my word? This brother took it easy all night long. He says, I got a 15-mile journey. I might as well get a good night's sleep. Eat some DJ's ribs. 
I got to get back home and play with my little boy tomorrow. He'd been sick so long and about died, he hadn't been able to play in a while. When I get home tomorrow, I'm going to throw him in the air. We're going to go toss the baseball around the yard because yesterday God made me a promise that I'm walking in today. This is my confidence. He's never failed me yet. This is my confidence. And the world and some Christians will come around wanting to inspect your now faith. Well, if God is going to answer, where's the answer? Where, where's the evidence? Let me see your checkbook if he's going to. Let me see the doctor's report if he. They're inspecting your now faith. And some of you that want to get your faith unhindered, your prayers unhindered, you, you got to start living in yesterday faith. Because I know some people that they give up on God if they don't get a, a word from the pastor every Sunday. Like They need to come up to the altar every Sunday and have me proclaim life over them every single Sunday. Because every Sunday they get a word of life, but then they die again that, whole, that week. And you gotta call, I gotta call them back to life every Sunday. I gotta, I gotta reiterate to them that God's promises are true every Sunday. But God sent me here this morning to sniff out some folks that are willing to live in yesterday faith. That I prayed about it, I got a word on it, and I ain't got no evidence that it's changing, but I'm I'm believing. I don't have no evidence. As a matter of fact, instead of it getting better, it actually got a little worse, but. I'm living in yesterday faith. I'm just going to, I'm going to lay my head down tonight. People say, how are you going to sleep with all that trouble? Usually in this position right here. Because I'm not going to stay up all night with anxiety over my job. Because yesterday... Yesterday, I got a word. I'm not going to stay up. Listen, I know what it's like to have wayward children, but I am not going to get stomach ulcers over backslidden children because I got a word yesterday, <laughs> and I'm going to sleep tonight because me wrecking myself is not going to help their situation any at all. I've got to learn how to put it in the foot of Jesus' cross and allow Him to do to them what He did to me and, and expect... Yesterday faith to produce a right now miracle. If you believe that, can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this house? Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands because I ain't jumping out. There is not enough devils to get me to jump out of your hand, Lord. I worked too hard to get to where I'm at now to give the enemy ground in my life. I'm going to stay right here in your hand, and I'm going to trust that you will never fail me yet. So I want to, I want to invite every person in the room that's been running on empty. And listen, listen I, I'm going to ask you to be bold, okay? Because sometimes you got to take a step of boldness to be delivered. I know in a crowd this size, there are some folks that struggle with believing if you can't see it. And I'm not shaming you. I'm not putting you down because we've all been there. At one time or another, every one of us has prayed and not really had confidence because what we prayed for, we couldn't see it. And truth is, if Jesus don't come snatch me out of here real quick, I'll probably get there again. Because things come in waves. And some things are harder to believe for than others. That's one reason, I didn't get to this part of my sermon, that's one reason you need to be hooked up to the local church body. Because when you're low in faith, there's others around you that can help foster and fan the flames of your faith and help pray you through to where you need to be. And that's what I'm, I'm going to ask you to do today. I, I want every person that's sort of running on empty. You've been believing God for a while. You, you, or, or you're up against something right now that is too big for you. 
and, and you really need God's hand to move in your life. And if that's, if that's you, I want you to come to the altar, and then I'm going to have the prayer team and the staff to come and start praying for you because this is an important moment in your life. This is the yesterday that you're going to be walking in tomorrow. I hope you caught that. I just threw you a softball. Today is the yesterday that you will be walking in tomorrow. So when you get that promise today and tomorrow doubt starts creeping in, you can say, no, I got yesterday faith. Because that promise of victory, I heard the voice of the Lord tell me everything's going to be all right. He's going to give me strength. If God be for me, who cares who comes against me? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I've got confidence. I've got confidence. Prayer team, if you would, make your way up here and begin to help these that have gathered in the altar to pray. Staff, if you're available, if i got any staff in here that's available to come and help them pray. This is going to be a moment where people get a promise. Speak life over them, prayer team. Begin, begin to speak over them and say, this is, your, this, is your, this is your today that's going to turn into a yesterday. Speak it into their life. Hallelujah.